Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 63 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you guys. Thank you so much for sending in your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, this podcast is for everyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or uh, if you are studying Islam, or if you are thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who is interested about learning more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. With that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we will continue talking about the biography of the Prophet wasallam. And uh, we will now start a new phase in, in the whole biography. We will start a new phase for the, you know, uh, for the Muslims, because we mentioned last time that the emigration, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, uh, you know, helped the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to emigrate from Mecca to Medina safely and successfully, even though the people of Quraysh, you know, plotted against them and they want, you know, to prevent them and kill them and all these things. But Allah Subhanahu wa Taala always protects the believers. Now, uh, once. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ successfully reached Medina. Now, this started a new phase, a whole new phase in you know our history and our story. And we will talk about that in a second. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the blessings of Medina first. Because, you know, not everybody knows what Medina is. You know, we all know Mecca because of the Kaaba and the Hajj, and we always go there and perform Hajj and all these things. But what what is the, you know, what what is the significance of Medina in Islam? Well, number one, Medina used to be called Yathrib before Islam. Yathrib has actually a, a very negative connotation to it. It means like to ridicule someone or to you know uh, smear someone. It didn't have a good uh, uh, meaning to it, and the Prophet ﷺ did not want to uh, you know associate Medina with something that was negative. So the Prophet ﷺ decided to call it Medina instead of Yathrib. And, you know, up until this day, we call it Medina because it's officially, you know, its name. Uh, also, uh, 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 as Muslims and as believers, we're not supposed to call it Yathrib anymore. Again, we only call it Yathrib in, in the series here because, you know, we're just mentioning the historical name of it and, you know, what people used to call it. But as a believer, when you reference Medina, you just should say Medina. You shouldn't say Yathrib at all because the Prophet ﷺ did not like that name because, again, it was, uh, you know, it had a negative meaning. Uh, also, uh, our Prophet ﷺ uh, 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 had relatives in Medina. You know, and, and this was, you know, seed that was, you know, being planted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a while ago before even the birth of the Prophet sallallahu And because that will, you know, come into play. Like, first of all, you know, having relatives in Medina, in a, in, in a town or a village or, you know, even a society that you're new to and you're just entering this new society helps you a lot. And it gives you, you know, supporters and whatnot. Even though everybody, all the Ansar, remember we said the Ansar are the supporters of the Prophet sallallahu from Medina or the Muslim uh, Muslims from Medina, those who are, uh, you know, accepted Islam in Medina or who are from Medina, they are called the Ansar. And uh, they all supported the Prophet ﷺ, relatives or not. They were there for the Prophet ﷺ. They loved him as he was one of their own. Um, also, it is a blessed city in the sight of Allah. Medina is a blessed city in the sight of Allah. And anyone who wants to do harm to Medina, will have Allah's curse upon them until the day of judgment, unless they repent, 
of course. Also, it is a blessed to live in and it's a blessed to die in as well. Again, it's a blessed to live in and it's a blessed to die in. And there's a story that actually proves that. When the Prophet said that it's a blessed to live in and it's a blessed to die in, because this is was said by the Prophet himself, Umar ibn al-Khattab made dua to Allah to die as a martyr in Medina. Now his son heard him saying the dua and his son looked at him and he, he was like, oh father, I, I don't think you can get that. Because Medina is a peaceful place, right? It's a peaceful place. It's the headquarters of, you know, the Islamic government. There's no war in it. There's no fights in it. It's, it's a peaceful area. How would you die as a martyr in Medina then? And then Umar ibn Khattab said, there's, you know, Allah is capable of anything. And, you know, uh, surely Umar ibn Khattab actually dies as a martyr, subhanAllah, in Medina. Uh, you know, while he was praying, he gets stabbed and assassinated by someone who is not a Muslim from outside of Medina who, you know, snuck in to assassinate Omar. And he died while he was praying uh, and he died as a martyr in Medina. So he got the two blessings of dying as a martyr. That's a big deal. And dying in Medina at the same time. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of anything. That was kind of a miracle. It was a miracle. And it shows you that Allah is capable of anything. You just make the dua and be sincere and Allah will make it happen. Now, uh, uh, also because it's 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 dying in it, it's a blessing, talking about the death in Medina. In Medina, there is the most blessed graveyard, period. Baqiyah al-Gharqad. Baqiyah al-Gharqad is the most blessed graveyard which has in it, buried in it, all the wives of the Prophet wasallam, except for Khadija. Because Khadija, remember, she passed away before even the emigration. She passed away early in Mecca, right? And that's why she's not buried there. But the rest of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ are all buried in Baqiyah. Also, the elite of the companions are buried in the Baqiyah. It's the most blessed graveyard in the world. Now, the as for the Prophet ﷺ, him, Abu Bakr, and Omar were buried in the Prophet's room. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he passed away, and we're going to get to that, this is going to be the conclusion of, of this season, uh, he passed away in his room. And he was buried in his room. And Abu Bakr, when Abu Bakr died, he was buried in his room. And next to him, I mean. Uh, and uh, Umar ibn Khattab was also buried uh, next to them. So it, basically the room had three graveyards for all three of them. Uh, and by the way, this was Aisha's house this was the house of he the prophet died in aisha's house right and of course what those of you who remember abu bakr is aisha's father abu bakr is aisha's father so she has her husband and her father buried next to each other and of course umar ibn khattab asked her if uh, you know before he died if you know she would allow him to be buried next to them and of course she agreed to that now, it's also uh, uh, important to say that there are three holy, sacred places in Islam, in this world. We have Mecca, that's number one. We have Medina, that's number two. And we have Jerusalem, that's number three. Um, so these are the three holy and sacred places in Islam. This is you know good to mention. Also, Medina is considered to be a haram. 
What is a haram now? A haram is an area, uh, a place, where certain halal things are considered to be haram in it. Again, it's an area. The haram, the word haram means it's an area where certain halal stuff that happen outside of that area considered to be haram. Like, for example, hunting animals is halal. If you hunt animals and you slaughter them, you know, you don't kill them while hunting them and then you slaughter them based on Islamic, you know, sharia, it's halal. Plucking trees, plucking plants in general. You can't pluck any type of flowers, nothing. You can't do that. Not allowed, believe it or not. You cannot carry any types of weapons. Again, back in the day, carrying weapons was not haram in, in, in any place. You're carrying weapons, you know being you know ready for it except for guards of course like for protection you know but that's the only rule also whoever desires to cause harm desires not do whoever desires to cause harm to medina will be punished severely by allah if you have the desire in you to cause harm in medina you will have a lost punishment now of course again this is all People might have this and then repent and they feel regretfulness, you know, that's fine. But I'm saying those who are intending to harm Medina or try to harm Medina and they never repent and they want to do, you keep, they keep wanting to do that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish them. Oh, by the way, all what I'm saying are authentic hadith by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is not speculation. This is what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told us himself about the blessings of uh, Medina. Now when we get, let's get back to our story. Once the Prophet ﷺ reached Medina, around 500 of the Ansar were waiting for him to welcome him. And uh, uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib, remember the one who slept in his bed, his cousin, who slept in his bed so he, you know, they could misdirect the Quraysh when they were trying to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca. He also reached around the same time because you have to understand the Prophet ﷺ took, you know, certain different routes and and, and he took an unusual route, an uncommon route to get to Medina while Ali ibn Abi Talib went straight to Medina so by the time they both left and, and by the time they both you know were on the road they got around the same uh, time and and now once the Prophet ﷺ reached Medina everybody started fighting uh, who is the Prophet ﷺ going to stay with they started fighting who is the Prophet ﷺ going to stay with he's going to stay with me no he's going to stay with me no 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 no. I, I, don't worry I'll take care of the Prophet ﷺ. so the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw all this happening he said let Allah decide let the camel walk and sits where I'm supposed to be because it will be guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So basically, let the ruling, let the decision be up to Allah. Do not fight. Allah is going to decide where I'm going to stay. So the camel keeps on you know, walking and then it sits in a specific location. That means Allah chose this location. And then the Prophet ﷺ came and then he asked. It was a land. So it was, the camel sat on a land that belonged to someone. So the Prophet asked, who owns this land? So it turns out that it was two orphans who owned the land. So the Prophet asked to buy it from them. They were already Muslims, right? So they, they said no, they refused. They didn't want to take money from the Prophet But the Prophet insisted and he said, I will pay for it. I will pay for it. And you're not going to you know, give it to me for free. And surely the Prophet paid for the land. And uh, he said that this shall be the first masjid in Islam. And the first masjid, by the way, this this masjid is called Masjid Quba. 
And Masjid Quba, for those of you who do not know, is the first masjid in Islam. The first official masjid that was built by Muslims in Islam, period, is the Masjid of Quba in Medina. And by the way, this masjid still exists until today, of course, with uh, you know a few enhancements. Um, and uh, he also asked, who amongst you from my relatives lives closest to this location, to this spot? And it shows you that the Prophet ﷺ wanted to, you know, stay with a relative uh, instead of, you know, someone who is not related to him. So someone by the name of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, who was actually a sixth cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, said, uh, I do, Ya Rasulullah, I live the closest, I, I live really like close by here. So the Prophet ﷺ asked him if he could, you know, stay with him. And Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, of course, was extremely happy. Look, everybody was fighting over the Prophet and now I get the chance to, you know, host him and have him stay in my house. And of course, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari uh, was very, very happy by, 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 by you know, uh, the Prophet asking him to stay with him. And he stayed with him for, I think, almost half a year. Now, right after this was settled, you know, where the Prophet is going to stay and everything, they started building the mosque. They started building the masjid. Uh, and again, this is the first. This is a very significant masjid because it is the first masjid in 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 Islam. And it is reported that it took two weeks to build the masjid. So they were working day and night, day and night. And you know, during their labor, during their like you know the process of building the masjid, they would actually want the Prophet ﷺ to sit down and not work. You know, he's the Prophet of Allah. Let him sit, and we're gonna do you know uh, the work for him. But of course, he refused, and he participated, uh, you know, in building the masjid uh, as uh, any of them. Um, and yeah, so that that was that. And it is it is also very interesting to know that the Prophet ﷺ built his masjid before his own house. Now let's talk about uh, the, the the phases of Islam in Medina. Uh, there were three phases in Islam. The, f- the first phase, did now that we're summarizing the phases of Islam in Medina, right? So the first phase took around five years. It was from, like we said, the first, uh, uh, the year one, 1 AH, which is after Hijrah, right? After emigration. That's how the calendar started, right? Up until the fifth year, up until 5 AH. And in it, Islam was being established as the main authority in Medina. So the main authority in Medina is now Islam. Not paganism, not Judaism, it is Islam, right? And eliminating the internal threats from Medina. What are you talking about? Well, it's not going to be all dandy and, you know, and, and happy and everything. There were threats within Medina itself from two groups, two main groups. The hypocrites, they are literally called the hypocrites. And there's a chapter after the, like named after them called the chapter of the hypocrites. And talks about them and the Jewish tribes there. So the Jewish tribes there had um, a higher status before the Prophet ﷺ came with the religion of Islam. Remember we talked about this and we said they took pride in their religion. They thought they were better than anybody else. And they didn't, you know, they, they thought they had the privilege of telling everybody else what to do. And they, again, they were looked at as, you know, a higher society. But now the Prophet ﷺ comes in with the true religion of Allah from Allah, right? And the rest of the, the, the Medina embrace the religion. So now it elevated them as well to a higher class and a higher status. And 
the Jewish people did not like that and they rejected the Prophet ﷺ. Not, not all of them, but the overwhelming majority of them did not like this new religion of Islam, even though they said we were, we are waiting for the new prophet. Ironically enough, they did not follow the Prophet ﷺ and they were conspiring from within to harm the Muslims alongside with the hypocrites. So these were the internal threats facing the Muslims in Medina. Also, there were external threats, mainly Quraysh. Quraysh, is not, they're not going to let it go. You know, they have a new enemy now called the Muslims and they're establishing their own government, their own, you know, uh, society. So they need to be taken down. So that was the external threat. So this is phase one. Again, phase one is establishing Islam as the main authority. Eliminating the internal threats, eliminating the external threats. Phase number two took around two and a half years. Which is, so phase number one is the era of war. Phase number one is called the era of war. Phase number two is called the era of peace. It's from 5 AH, again, 5 AH means after Hijra, five years after Hijra, after immigration, to 8 AH. And in it, in, in this phase, in the, in the era of peace, truce with everyone took place. There was peace with everyone. And, of course, and there was also the coexistence of non-Muslims. And Islam, look at this. You, this is critical, my dear brothers and sisters. This is critical. During that phase, Islam expanded five times more than the era of war. For those who say Islam was spread by force, Islam was spread by the sword, Islam was spread by, by war. Here is a fact, recorded fact, that Islam expanded five times more in the era of peace than the era of war. And it shows you that it is the true religion and it enters the heart. The, the era of war was necessary. It was absolutely necessary to eliminate the threats. And yeah, it expanded Islam as well, but not nearly as much as it expanded in the era of peace. Now, let's go to phase number three. Phase number three took around three years, which is the era of establishment. Now, we uh, had our wars, we had our peace, now we established the religion, that's it. And basically, it's the completion of the establishment of the Islamic authority, the Islamic Republic, if you want to call it, starting right after the conquest of Mecca. Like we said, the Prophet ﷺ will go back to Mecca and Mecca will become a Muslim land. And this concludes, you know, it becomes a full circle. You know, Islam started in Mecca, went to Medina, went back to Mecca. Up until the death of the Prophet ﷺ, that will take about three years. And this is the final phase in the Islamic uh, history in terms of the biography of the Prophet ﷺ. Of course, Islam, you know, thrives right after that. Now we uh, you know, have uh, summarized uh, all the three phases uh, of Islam in Medina. There is a question now is how did the emigrants, the muhajireen or the muhajirun, how did they like Medina? This is, Medina is their new home now, right? So how did they like Medina? Well, they actually didn't. Early immigrants did not like Medina at all because they just simply missed their homes. There was nothing wrong with Medina. Actually, the Ansar, was, they were treating them in, a, in an insanely generous way. You know, that, and it was true faith, you know, from the Ansar. But it was not Mecca. 
it was not their home. They felt homesick. It's actually reported that some of them used to actually get physically sick. Like they would have, they would sick to, in their stomach and they would throw up and vomit and all these things because they're not used to being away from home that much. It was mental and physical. Now, when our Prophet ﷺ realized that the immigrants felt this way, he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said what? Oh Allah, make us love Medina as much as we love Mecca and even more. So the Prophet ﷺ made dua to Allah that Allah would put the love of Medina in their hearts. Even more than they loved Mecca. And subhanAllah, right after that, the love of Medina entered the heart of all the immigrants. To the degree that when the immigrants used to leave Medina, you know, to run errands or to do anything, you know, they would count the days until their return to Medina. Can you believe that? SubhanAllah, this is a miracle. From being feeling sick, from not wanting to be in this place because, you know, it's away from their homes. To whenever they leave it now, they count the days to get back to it, Medina. Subhanallah. And on their way back, they would feel so much happiness when they see Medina from a distance. Can Subhanallah, it's incredible. And that shows you, my dear brothers and sisters, that love and hate are in the hands of Allah. You just have to do the right thing. You have to be the right person. Allah changes the hearts as much as you want and as you deserve. Now, the Ansar took in all the immigrants, right? And they made them feel like they were home. They shared their homes with them, their food, their land, and everything. So one time the Ansar came to the Prophet ﷺ and they asked him, they said, O Prophet of Allah, we want to give half of our lands to the Muhajireen, to the immigrants. And of course, we're talking about lands of dates here. So that's like a business right there. This is business. This is land that's like, you know, giving them prudos. It's business. But the Prophet ﷺ refused and made dua for them. May Allah bless you and bless all of, you know, all what you have. But then he gave him a, a, a different uh, suggestion, which was that the immigrants will partner up with them by labor, by being responsible for the manual labor. And then they both can split the profit or the produce or whatever you want to call it. So the Prophet is, is praising them, but at the same time he said, no, 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 what are you talking about? We came here to work. We're not here to, you know, there's no free stuff here. They will, they, they will accept your generosity, but from a different perspective. They're going to work for you. Or going to work for, you know, their, their, uh, their profit. And of course, the Ansar agreed to, agreed to that. Uh, and it shows you, again, the generosity of the Ansar. They were willing to give up half their lands for the immigrants. It's, it's subhanAllah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Also, one of the situations when the Prophet ﷺ first came, to, to, to Medina There was a well-known Jewish rabbi in Medina Who saw the Prophet He saw everybody running to Rushing to see him This is when he first came in Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And you know He said okay let me go check it out Now he was a very well-known Jewish rabbi And as soon as he saw him In the crowd As soon as he the Prophet got closer to him 
He said this famous word. He narrates. He said, I immediately realized that that face, the face of the Prophet ﷺ, was not the face of a liar. This guy is truly a prophet. He's not a liar. And of course, the rabbi converted to Islam and became the famous, famous companion, Abdullah ibn Salam. Abdullah ibn Salam narrates actually the first hadith in Medina. The first hadith in Medina, Abdullah ibn Salam, the, the former Jewish rabbi, narrates this hadith because he heard it right at this spot. When the Prophet first came, this was the first hadith, and it was heard by Abdullah ibn Salam himself, the, 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 the former Jewish rabbi. And it's a profound, beautiful hadith that tells you what Islam is all about. The Prophet ﷺ said in that hadith, Ya ayyuhan nas, ufshu salam wa ta'imu ta'am wa sallu bil-layli wa nasu niyam tadkhulu al-jannah bi salam. O people, spread the peace. Afshu salam, spread peace amongst you. Also, spread saying the word salam. It has double meaning here. Afshu salam. When you walk around, say salamu alaikum. Salamu alaikum. That's why it's the official greetings of a Muslim is to say assalamu alaikum or salam as a short. You know? Assalamu alaikum. Salamu alaikum. Salamu alaikum. Do that in Medina. And also be a source of peace. Spread peace. Feed the poor. Atimu ta'am. Feed the hungry. Feed the poor. And pray at night while others are asleep. When you do all of that, you shall enter Jannah, you shall enter paradise peacefully. Beautiful and profound hadith and it tells you what Islam is all about. Peace, taking care of the poor, praying. Important three actions of a Muslim, of a believer, of a true believer. You do all these things, you enter Jannah, inshallah, peacefully. No problems, no hassles, nothing. Subhanallah. Now, the Ansar, like we said, kept helping the Muhajirun so much. They were helping them so much, you know, that uh, uh, um, that the Muhajirun actually got a little concerned. The immigrants who were being helped by the Ansar got a little concerned. They went to the Prophet ﷺ and we said, O Prophet of Allah, we are worried. So the Prophet ﷺ said, why are you worried? They said, because we've never seen people who are generous to that degree before. Look at this, subhanAllah. Look at the, the complaint here. It's a beautiful complaint. We've never seen people who are as generous as this group of Ansar. They share equally with us everything. Everything they share with us. It's just crazy. Nobody does this. Who does this? Usually when you try to be generous with people, you give them a portion of what you have. A little portion of what you have. Enough for them. But sharing, splitting everything in half is unheard of before. You know? 
And because they do all these great things, they were scared. Now, the immigrants are telling the Prophet ﷺ that they were scared that all the rewards that they gathered from being persecuted in Mecca, from, you know, the, 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 the pains of, you know, the emigration itself will go to the Ansar because they've been so good to them. They're trying to, you know, uh, spoil them, you know, if you want to say. They're trying to make their lives a lot easier. So are they going to take our rewards from us, O Prophet of Allah? They're scared. They're worried that they want the rewards from Allah. They don't want a life of luxury. They don't want to, you know, split everything with everyone. They want Allah's rewards. They want Allah to be pleased with them. So they're worried. Are they going to take our rewards from us? <laughs> because we work so hard and we want to please Allah. We don't want anything else. Such a beautiful complaint. Only comes from these two groups. <laughs> you know, one person is, is, is complaining that the other person is too generous. And they're just scared that they will take their rewards that were given by Allah from them. The highest two groups in Islam. Of course, it's befitting to them, subhanAllah. So the Prophet ﷺ responded and said, do not worry. Allah is not going to take the rewards from you. And they won't take your rewards. Because again, you have to understand, it's not like they're afraid that they will take their past rewards that they already were rewarded for when they did what, you know, when they persecuted, were persecuted and when they left Mecca. No, no, this, this is locked in with the immigrants. But they're afraid that because, again, the immigrants are living in Medina, right? And they're staying away from home. They feel that pain and they left everything behind. So they are still being rewarded by Allah. So they're afraid that these constant rewards by Allah for what happened to them will be taken away by the Ansar. Now the Ansar will keep you know, uh, giving them everything, giving them half of everything, and they will lose these rewards by Allah. That's what they're afraid of. But the Prophet ﷺ told them, do not be afraid. Just praise them and make dua for them. Don't treat them badly. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will keep your rewards and give them their rewards for doing what they're doing with you. Allah is generous. There are plenty of rewards. Don't worry about it. You know, do not worry about it. Also, another thing that, you know, it's, I think it's worth mentioning. That also in Medina, in Medina, the five daily prayers, right? We, we know that the five daily prayers were established after the night of Isra and Maraj. So that was a given. But everyone used to pray only two rakahs. All five prayers used to be two rakahs, two rakahs, two rakahs, two rakahs. In the beginning. Now, after they got to Medina and they established the first mosque, the first masjid, right? And they established, now they're staying, everyone is staying with, you know, uh, uh, someone from the Ansar. Now, it's a more of an established government, an established society, an established community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed the actual number of rakahs for each prayer as we know them now. You know, for Fajr, it's two. For Dhuhr, it's four. For Asr, it's four. For Maghrib, it's three. For Isha, it's four. So these were decreed in Medina, the number of rakahs. That's also worth, you know, worth mentioning. And the two rakahs now, uh, you know, like I said, they used to only play, pray two rakahs for all prayers, were left to the traveler. That's how, how the traveler uh, prays two rakahs, you know, under the certain circumstances came from. It came from here. The two rakahs that the Muslims used to pray on the regular now only is left only for the traveler. Um, another thing that's really interesting was the call for the Adhan. Now, again, nobody could have called Adhan in Mecca. 
Like I told you, this is a whole new phase now. A whole new phase. So the Prophet ﷺ gathered the companions to discuss how to call people for prayers. How do we call people for prayers, you know? How to call people to come and pray in the masjid. So one of them said, let's do like a, a huge bell like the Christians. And that was discarded. They said, no, we're not going to do that. Someone said, let's, you know, use a horn or a trumpet. Again, that was discarded. And technically the meeting, the gathering finished without them coming up with anything. They did not find a way to call people for prayers. Now, Abdullah ibn Zayd, a famous companion, went home and he had a dream. And in that dream, basically, there was a man selling horns. So he went to that man and he asked him to buy a horn to use it to call people for prayers. But then the man said, I have a better way for you to call people for prayers than the horn. So, uh, you know, Abdullah ibn Zayd said, what better way? Tell me about it. So the man said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu anna la ilaha illa Allah. And again he repeated, Ashhadu anna la ilaha illa Allah. Wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Again a second time. Then he said, Hayya ala salah. Then again repeated it. Hayya ala salah. Come forward. Come to pray. Get up. Hayya ala al-falah. Come for goodness and successfulness in this life and in the after. Hayya ala al-falah. And then he said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah. This is basically the call for prayer. This is the adhan, what I just said right now. And Abdullah ibn Zayd heard the whole thing from this man in that dream. So he rushed to the Prophet He got up, wrapped his garment, and ran to the Prophet And he said, O Prophet of Allah, I saw that dream. And he basically told the Prophet the whole dream. Then our Prophet told him that this dream is a sign from Allah. It is a true vision. Now, we do not just, it's very important to say that we do not base our sharia based on dreams. Except if it was a dream that came to the Prophet, we know that the Prophet does not have any random dreams. It's all signs from Allah, it's all a message from Allah. Prophets and messengers do not have random dreams, by the way, for those of you who do not know. Now, this is a dream that happened to a companion, not the Prophet. But it had the approval of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, this is a sign from Allah. Allah made you see this. And it's a blessing that Allah given to Abdullah ibn Zayd. You know, Allah made you see this dream because it is a true vision and we shall pray that way. And of course, Allah allowed it to happen. Allah didn't, you know, reveal a verse that says, no, this is not how you're supposed to call for prayers. Which means it proves that this is a sign, was a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, uh, our Prophet asked Bilal, remember Bilal, the, 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 the first black Muslim who was tortured and persecuted and didn't care. He kept saying, Ahadun Ahadun Mecca. That's, that's Bilal, right? To be the official caller of prayers. We know that Bilal is a mu'addin. He's the official mu'addin of the Prophet So Bilal took Abdullah ibn Zayd uh, with him, you know, on top of the mosque. 
and Abdullah was basically repeating his 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 uh, the words of the call of prayers that you know the man told him in the dream, and Bilal was you know shouting it and you know calling people uh, uh, to prayers. Now, while Bilal was giving the adhan, calling people for prayers, Umar ibn al-Khattab comes rushing to the masjid, and he tells our Prophet that he heard the same exact words in another dream. So he basically had the same exact dream that Abdullah ibn Zayd had. Oh, that's obviously. Now, you know, this is definitely a sign and Allah giving it to both. Abdullah ibn Zayd and Umar ibn al-Khattab. It's just Abdullah ibn Zayd went to the Prophet ﷺ first. Now, let's get to the story of the Islamic calendar. And we shall end today's episode with that. Now, Building the Islamic calendar actually takes place years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. It never happens in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, it happens in the time of Umar. When Umar becomes the ruler of the Muslims, this is when the calendar, the Islamic calendar or the Hijri calendar will be established, right? Now, the Arabs didn't have their own calendar. You know, so each tribe had their own based, you know, it was never, it's not a calendar. It's just like they based their events on some sort of important things that happen and they say well like for example let's say uh there was a a fight that took place a very famous fight that took place within one tribe so when they try to reference a day they say remember that day that the fight took place yeah this and this happened two days before or this and this happened a week after something like they don't have a specific date there's no such the concept of a date was not there right also the arabs took the four sacred months from Prophet Ibrahim. Now, we know that the four sacred months, we have four sacred months in the Arabic uh, uh, or in the Islamic calendar. Dhul Qada, Dhul Hijjah, Muharram, and Rajab. These four months are called the sacred months. Again, in those months, there are no wars. You can't, you know, fight. Even if there is a constant ongoing war, you have to stop during those four months. So, these four months came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Prophet Abraham at the time. But one of the things that remained after the death of Prophet Abraham, uh, peace be upon him, uh, is the four sacred months and the Kaaba, of course, and the Hajj. But they kind of twisted it. Remember, we said that before. They twisted the Sharia or they twisted the way of Prophet Abraham, alayhi salatu wasalam. Now, powerful tribes like Quraysh would manipulate the calendar. For their own agendas. To shift, for example, the sacred months. For their own gains. So, for example, if they want to go to war with another tribe. And they happen to be in one of those sacred months. They swap the months to be able to go to war. To attack that tribe. So, they say, for example, like, let's say, for example, they are in the month of Muharram. Which is a sacred month, right? So if they want to go attack a tribe during that month, they can't. So what they do is they swap the months. They say, oh, by the way, we are now in Safar. We're not in Muharram. Safar is another month, but it's not sacred in in the Islamic calendar. So they say now we are in Safar, so we're allowed to go and attack you. And they actually go and they attack the other tribe. And no one can say anything. They swap the months. And now because the months were swapping so much, no one actually knew the correct order of the months anymore. 
again, it's not just Quraysh. Other powerful tribes would keep swapping, swapping back and forth based on whatever their you know gains are. So because of the too much swapping, all like you know throughout the, the many years, no one knows the exact order of the months you know during the year. This was the case up until the Prophet ﷺ performed Hajj in the tenth year of the Hijrah or ten AH. He announced right you know during Hajj that the months have fallen into the correct order like they were intended by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he created the heavens and the earth and forbade the swapping of the months ever again. It becomes a sign of disbelief. You can't do this again. So again, when they did the hajj, when the Prophet you know, performed hajj, it happened that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala aligned the months in the correct order in that specific year, the 10 AH. So the Prophet announced to everyone, from now on, this is what we were going to follow. This is the correct order of the months. Nobody is allowed to swap it. Now, it's, it's also, you guys need to know that the Prophet died one year after that. He died in 11 AH, 11 uh, after Hijrah. Just, you know, for those of you, we'll get to that later. Now, in 10 AH, the, the, the months are established in the year. 11 AH, the Prophet dies. 17 AH, so now six years after the death of the Prophet Omar ibn Khattab now is ruling the Muslims. He is presented with a case of two people fighting one another in court. One of them said that he was supposed to get paid by the other guy during the month of Shaban. So by the month of Shaban, he was supposed to get paid whatever the money that, you know, that guy owed him. He was supposed to get paid that money by the month of Shaban. This is another month in the Hijri calendar. Now, that was this guy's side of the story. The other guy came and he said, yeah, but I meant... The Sha'ban of next year, not this year. So I meant that the same month, I agree with you, I said this month, but I meant the month of next year. So there's extra year now we have to wait for. And that kind of produced a conundrum. This is how would they, because the contract, whatever the, the trade was, in the contract it only mentions the month. It doesn't mention the year. So that created some sort of confusion and, you know, they didn't know what to do. Also, there were multiple other cases that had the same exact problem. Now, Omar gathered the companions and started looking for a way to have a proper calendar because of all the problems now, court cases, you know, trade clause, you know, any contracts, it does not specify a year. What can we? What could we put in that year? We don't know which year is this supposed to be, right? So Omar ibn Khattab gathers all the companions, and he asks them, "How are we going to do this, right?" So they all differed. Of course, you know, like you have uh, a, a lot of difference of opinion. Some of them suggest that you know, to start of the death, like that, the first year is the year of the death of the Prophet Someone said, no, let's make it, you know, uh, uh, in the con- when we, uh, you know, uh, conquered Mecca, the conquest of Mecca. 
Then Ali ibn Abi Talib suggested that the calendar should start with the emigration, with the hijrah. Ali is the cousin of the Prophet suggested that let's start the date with the year, with the year of the hijrah. Okay. Why? He said that because this in this year, the situation for the Muslims have completely changed, 180 degrees. From humiliation to elevation, to honor. We were humiliated in Mecca, we were persecuted in Mecca, and we came to Medina on that year, and we were honored and elevated. So it's befitting to have this is the first year in our calendar. So this is year number 1AH. Because you have to understand, the, the, the Islamic calendar, we don't have zero year. We don't have zero AH. We start with 1AH. So everyone agreed. Actually, everyone was like, okay, that actually sounds good, you know. So it was decided that the first year of the calendar will be the year of the emigration from Mecca to Medina. Now, what was left is to decide which month should be the first month in the calendar. Now, in 10 AH, the Prophet ﷺ said what? This is the correct order of the months. But which one should we start with to be, you know, the beginning of the year? That's what the companions were talking about in 17 AH with Umar ibn al-Khattab. You don't know which one should we start with, which month. And of course, again, difference of opinions. Someone said it should be Ramadan. Ramadan is the most blessed month. You know, it's the most, the holiest of months. So it should be the first month in the calendar. Someone else said Dhul-Hijjah because it's the month of Hajj. It's also blessed because it's the month of Hajj. Again, a lot of people started, you know, throwing uh, names, you know, of, of, of specific months, thinking that this should be the first month, right? Until uh, the famous companion by the name of Uthman ibn Affan said, it shall be the month of Muharram. It shall be the month of Muharram. Because the emigration took place in the month of Safar, but the announcement for the emigration took place in Muharram. Now we know that Muharram is a sacred month, right? So again, when the Prophet ﷺ announced to the Muslims in Mecca, we're about to emigrate from Mecca to Medina, this announcement took place in the month of Muharram. Again, it's all related to the, the incident of the emigration. So it's befitting that to make the month of Muharram, which is technically was the start of the emigration itself, because the Prophet announced it in Muharram, so that means it's the start of the actual process of the emigration. So it's befitting that to make it also the start of the months in the uh, the in the Islamic calendar. And of course, they all agreed to that, and that's what we have uh, currently today. You know, I mean, from then up until this day. That the Islamic calendar is based on the actual emigration. So 1AH is basically a year, uh, the year of the emigration. And uh, the first month is the month of Muharram for the reasons we just mentioned. Again, I thought this was very, uh, very interesting uh, information, you know, uh, to know. Uh, so, yeah, now we have the Islamic, uh, 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 you know, government is established in Medina. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.